0: Hi everybody, you're listening to the Rope Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show.
1: This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now.
0: This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk, and we strongly recommend that you get proper training and listen to episode zero before attempting it. You can find that at the top of our Life page, Rope Podcast, no space.
1: Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom. We're rope partners, we've been practicing together for about a couple of years and we're excited to share our passion for rope with you from our beautiful home in Thailand. Yes we
0: are. And today we're going to talk about something you may need or you may be asked to do uh, next time you're doing rope out in the world and that is spotting for rope. So Fox, what does it mean to spot for someone...
1: Uh, to spot for someone means essentially to be looking out for them while rope is happening.
0: Okay, and w- what kind of thing does that, that mean or involved or who, who are we having do that?
1: Um, usually it's an activity that is focused on the bottom, like making sure that the bottom is safe, that she's not in distress, that she's not in trouble, maybe she is trying to communicate but the rigor for some reason is not um, catching the communication, is not understanding that something's happening. And so having this extra person who is dedicated on looking at the scene and spotting if anything goes wrong can add an extra layer of safety. And but are they
0: also checking the rope?
1: They could yeah, the be. Bump. so. Usually when we hear about spotters, they are, as I was saying, focused on the bottom, but they could also be paying attention to what the rigger is doing, especially if it's, for instance, a newer rigger who has asked a more experienced rigger to spot for his scene. Uh, The rigger might come in if something goes very wrong. Uh, That's something you see quite often for people doing their first suspensions. They Mm -hmm. ask to have an experienced rigger spotting, and then if something starts to go south, that rigger can step in, and that's something that's pre-agreed, so the rigor would not, in this case, the spotter rigger would not be uh, violating the scene space because it's agreed from the start, but he may do that if safety uh, is in jeopardy.
0: Yeah, because that's quite an unusual thing, isn't it? Because typically in BDSM, uh, one of the, the kind of unwritten rules is that we don't uh, interfere in other people's scenes, so, so why is that different here?
1: Uh, certainly in our scene, in our community, it would be very poor form to step into another person's scene and tell them, oh, you're, you're doing this wrong, you have to <laughs> stop or you have to change it. That's not the case everywhere in the world. Uh, I'm thinking in particular in some play space uh, in the US, you have DMs, dungeon monitors, that do step into scene if they're uh, unsure about the safety or the best practice of a scene. We don't do that here, so your mileage may vary on that aspect.
0: Okay. Um, and so why why do we have um, spotters in rope? Uh,
1: we have spotters in rope mainly for safety, and that safety is multi-layered. That's the safety of the rope itself that's being done. Like, Do we feel that uh, the placement of wraps and nuts is not too dangerous, for instance? there's the safety of the persons in the scene. For instance, uh, well, Maya, you're a bottom. If you tie with a new rigger you don't really have very good references for, you might ask one of your friends to spot for you uh, so that if the rigger starts doing something that is not quite within your boundaries, your friend could speak up and help you stop the scene. That would mm-hmm. be an example. Okay. Uh, obviously, everyone is going to have a different risk profile regarding those issues. Some people will be fine tying with uh, someone who's more of a stranger or might even be excited by that aspect. And that will be having a higher risk profile because a higher risk that something may go wrong. Some people are more conservative or safety minded. And if they tie with someone new, they want someone in the room to be looking out for them.
0: And I think that can also go for rigors. So if you're tying with someone uh, a bottom who may be a more risky bottom or a bottom who might be a bit unpredictable, then having someone else in the room to confirm that you tied them appropriately could be a good thing as well.
1: Yeah, that's actually a great point, Maya. Besides the observing and intervening if necessary, the spotter is also a witness of the scene. And can yeah. give an account if something went wrong and uh, maybe one of the parties or both parties are unhappy with the way uh, the scene went, maybe they have conflicting accounts of events, then the spotter uh, can be a witness to that mm, and mm. bring a more uh, objective external view of what happened.
0: Okay, so who who is typically... You've, give, you've given some examples, but who is typically getting someone to spot for them? What, what kind of person... Um, is doing
1: that? Um, I will start by saying one thing. Um, tying at a party, at a house party, in a semi-public situation, where people are watching. That's not spotting, that's people are mm. watching. Yeah. And if you believe that if something goes wrong, spontaneously people from the audience are going to step up and help, you might be very disappointed. So yeah. we are talking here about... Something that is very explicit. You have identified one person or a couple persons to be spotters. They know they are your spotters.
0: Yeah, they've consented to being spotters.
1: They have consented to being spotters. And as we're going to see later in this episode, I wouldn't always consent to be a spotter. Yeah. Uh, they are aware of this responsibility. They have accepted it. Uh, if the person you are tying with, whether you're the bottom of the rigger, is aware that someone yes. is spotting so when that person steps into the scene because there's a problem they're not going to get punched in the face right
0: right very much so
1: (laughs) but actually quite quite important also yes Uh, because if
0: someone tied with you and they had a spotter and they didn't tell you and the spotter stepped in you would not be super enthusiastic about that would you
1: i would very not i would very not uh but yeah back to hammering that point just because you have an audience doesn't mean you have a spotter it's quite quite different and in my experience people in the audience will usually be ill at ease if something goes wrong they won't know what's appropriate as far as respecting the scene space they don't know what is someone being truly in distress versus someone uh, role-playing non-consent type of scene so if you want a spotter get a spotter That's, that's the core takeaway here (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. back to your question, who gets a spotter and who do you choose to be a spotter? Uh, I think either the bottom or the rigger or both can get a spotter. Uh, it might seem a bit belt and suspenders, but I don't think it's shocking to have the bottom choose one person to be the spotter and the rigger also choose another person to be the spotter. Uh, that wouldn't shock me. What do you think of that, Maya?
0: Sure. In a very complex scene where you're doing some very risky stuff and you want and you have a number of things to be looking out for. Or if you have more than one bottom, um, I think that is another place where you might have more than one spotter. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a fundamental question that I think is interesting, which is if you feel you need someone to spot for you, should you really be tying with that person?
1: Uh, and I think that has to do with your risk profile. We know, for instance, Maya, that your risk profile is lower than mine, as in you oh, like sure. you like less risky things. For me, the answer would probably be yes, because I'm not a very risk-averse person. Although I I play as safe as I can.
0: But then, why would you need a spotter? Like what's your, so I feel like there's a continuum of at one end you have playing with very risky person, playing with someone no a spotter, at the other end you have where well, you don't play with someone if you think you need a spotter. So where's that middle ground where you're both risk, into risk, but you somehow still need a spotter?
1: Um, I'm in, I suppose I'm in some types of risk. Uh, for instance... I am quite rack in my play, so right mm-hmm. for those who don't know. I think um, both is rack, full stop. Yeah, risk-aware consensual kink, which to sum it up uh, and maybe oversimplify it means we accept that risk exists, cannot be completely eliminated, and we accept that risk on the condition that the people who are playing understand the risk. It's like enlightened Consent, like they know what the risk is. And because they know what the risk is, then they can consent to it. Mm -hmm. And essentially here, uh, risk of injuries and so on, I accept as a possibility. Although I do a lot of research, I do a lot of training to try to make my rope as safe as possible. I know that absolutely safe rope is not a thing. The cases where I might want to spotter more as the rigger... Is with people who I'm not so sure about their character or their stability. That is an area where I'm much yeah. more risk averse. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. So th- and that's more of the witness piece than it is
1: uh, to do with the rope. It's the witness piece. It could also be help someone who is unsure feel safer. So for the benefit for of sake. the bottom, if she feels like she needs an extra safety net, I'm, I'm happy to arrange a spotter to provide that for her.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Uh, have you Have you ever gotten a spotter for one of your scenes, Maya?
0: Um, yeah, I didn't know whether we were going to talk about that, that later on, about how you and I have had tried out you being a spotter for me and how that hasn't super worked yeah. well for reasons. So maybe we talk about that in a bit. Okay, we will. Okay. Um, so my my I'm a bit undecided on this one. Like if you need someone to spot for you, should, be, should you be tying with that person? I think there are people who use spotters who shouldn't be tying with that person. Like okay. they're not experienced enough to mm-hmm. – if they're not experienced enough to understand some of the risks that they're taking, they shouldn't be – tying with and, that person and the spotter is, isn't going to manage that for them
1: do you feel that's like, more on the rigger side or the bottom side or both
0: um i think it's more on the bottom well i think some things riggers maybe shouldn't be doing i think there's a difference between labbing where a spotter is a, a very different thing than scening mm-hmm. um and i think with bottoms i think we're going to talk about this in a minute as well, this piece around accountability, you can't pass the accountability for your safety onto someone else. And that's where I feel very uncomfortable with some people using spotters. Like, well, tell me if I'm, if, you know, I'm going to get nerve damage. Well, actually a lot of that is internal. And if you don't know the difference between, uh, you know, something, a feeling internally, that's about nerve damage versus circulation versus discomfort, whatever, then you shouldn't really be, Tying.
1: Yeah, there's so, no, so there's there's no spotter vacancy piece. inside of your head. Essentially.
0: Exactly, exactly. Okay, so, so going on to that, so when we've talked about some um, examples, and I, and I was saying there's a difference between labbing and sealing. So, yeah. in terms of labbing, it feels like that's much more. Comfortable, right? So
1: when you, when you say labbing, you mean being at a workshop, being a learning Yeah,
0: trying right? trying stuff out, experimenting. Mm-hmm. So you've got a new tie, you're at a workshop, yeah, for sure. Or you're at home and you're watching a video and you're going to try mm-hmm. a tie and you're probably going to try it a few times to get it right. Those kind of things.
1: If you're at a workshop, at, uh, at a one-on-one lesson, uh, the teacher might be your spotter. Uh, but in this case, make sure the teacher is aware you're going to do the thing and has the time and availability to devote to spotting for you while you do it because if they have a class with eight couples tying you can't assume they will be watching you like a hawk every step of the way and available to step in within two seconds if you fuck up
0: definitely definitely Uh,
1: that being said they might be very okay with you doing your thing in the corner keeping an eye on you coming to check on you every minute or so Or, obviously, if it's a one-on-one lesson you're getting, uh, and that's actually one of the extra value you get when you Mm. get a one-on-one, you have this teacher watching you tie who can really provide you with a big safety net if something goes wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. And what else in labbing? Where else is a spotter you saw there?
1: Um, Well, usually, you might want to have a spotter if you're doing something for the first time, either as the bottom of the rigger. If you're the rigger, you're doing a tie, um, for the first time, it's complicated. Uh, cognitively, you've got a lot a lot going on. Getting a spotter might mean that for once you relax your attention on the bottom a bit more to focus more on the mm, technique you're trying to that's learn. That's a great point. Whilst having your bottom still be safer because someone is looking out for her.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then what about scening? So that's a that's a different um, type of environment. When would we have a spotter in scening?
1: Uh, one case where you 100% must have a spotter is if your scene calls for you leaving the room with the people in the rope.
0: Does the scene... Can you give an example of that? What scene calls for you leaving the room? Uh,
1: we had cases uh, at parties where someone needed to go fetch a piece of equipment to continue the scene because they didn't really... like It was a scene that built organically. They didn't so much have okay, a scene okay. plan. They hadn't prepared all their gear up front, so they started tying a person up. Uh, they then realized they were missing, I don't know, maybe a lighter to light their candle, something to that effect. Sure, sure. And they had to go out of the house to talk to the smokers outside and get a lighter. I think <laughs> I think that was the situation from Okay, from yeah, memory. that makes
0: sense, yeah.
1: You cannot leave someone... Oh in bondage for the time it takes to go down two flights of stairs, go outside talk to the smokers, get a lighter and do that whole trip uh, the other way around. That is enough time for someone to asphyxiate to get to fall down, to get seriously hurt. You cannot leave someone in bondage for that duration on their own okay. so if you have to do that you 100% have to get someone to spot while you go. Okay um, be careful that if you do that, it might have quite the emotional impact on your bottom, because leaving someone... Usually when you do bondage on someone, and that goes for rope bondage, that goes for other types of bondage, that person is being very vulnerable and trusting in you specifically as their top.
0: Yeah.
1: If you, quote, abandon them and leave them in someone else's care especially if it's someone they don't know, especially if it's someone they don't have the same trust, and it can be very damaging emotionally. And
0: it's also potentially breaking consent, because if I was tying with someone, I've consented to tie with them, and consented yep. to tie with some, some random. So that that I think is um, interesting yeah. too. That's
1: and a we... dangerous. Uh, that's a dangerous area. Not to mention, obviously, if you tie someone up, don't leave them alone with a random you don't know as the sparrow who <laughs> might do anything to them. Like, yeah, I think I feel that goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway.
0: Say it anyway,
1: for sure.
0: <laughs> and then what about self suspension? So that's interesting. But but by definition, you're on your own suspending there. Would you ever have a spotter there?
1: I would never not have a spotter for self suspension. <laughs> no, I know that not spotter. Yeah, I know that not everyone agrees with that. I know that practically you might live alone. You might love self suspension. You don't want to bother to only do it when you have a friend over my view on that is you never know when you might slip you never know when you might lose consciousness Mm. Uh, sure your cutting tool is within reach but what if it gets knocked over Uh, there's a million things that could happen what if an intruder walks in while you're in self suspension my view on that as someone who does not self suspend is that you should always 100% of the time have a spotter if you're going to do any kind of self bondage And sadly, a vast majority of bondage fatalities are self-bondage situations.
0: Okay, not that there is a million self-bondage fatalities, just to be clear. There's
1: there's not a million. The way you
0: said that there made it sound like there's like 20 a day. Well, there's not 20
1: a day, I hope. But every time there's one, someone dies, and that's serious.
0: Yeah, obviously.
1: And the vast majority of those uh, fatal accidents are self-bondage. So in self-bondage, I would 100% mm-hmm. have a spotter always. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. We really love making this real podcast and sharing it with you. Sadly, hosting a podcast isn't free, far from it actually. So if you like this podcast and you want to support us, you can do so at RopePodcast.com. You'll find ways to buy rope stuff so that we get a cut from your purchases, and also ways to donate to us directly. And if you can't afford to do that, that's okay too. Just enjoy the podcast. Now, back to our normal programming. So, Maya, if you're asked to spot for someone, which I feel is... uh, Realistic because you have a lot of very good friends who are rope bottoms. I could easily see one of them ask you to spot for them, especially as you are uh, possibly the most experienced rope bottom we have here in the Bangkok scene. Uh, what are the things you think might be challenging in that type of situation?
0: Um, I think one of the, um, the biggest challenges is when to step in. So okay. what, what tipi- the most important thing is that you have some very clear expectations about what the other person believes a spotter is in this situation. Okay. And so a, a big challenge is, well, you know how big a deal is what I'm seeing? So understanding the other person's risk profile versus your risk profile, for example. So for me, um, I don't do TKs uh, with arm so I don't do TKs. And so, you know, seeing someone else do a TK, if, if they've already discussed it, then that's fine. But where the arm rope is then placed, my risk profile is quite low, as we've talked about. And so I might say, well, actually, you know, I feel like that arm rope is a bit low and that's going to cause problems. And so I could potentially stop the scene. But then I know that for many people, they're prepared to take more of a risk. And so you're weighing up a 100 different factors in your head, you know, not Mm. wanting to um, spoil the scene because I think it's a big deal (laughs) to stop a scene, someone else's scene. uh, Like that for me is a big thing. Yeah,
1: I have an anecdote about that. I will uh, narrate a bit later and yeah, it doesn't feel great.
0: Yeah, so, you know, this idea of stopping someone else's scene is a big deal. And so you really need to be as clear as possible beforehand what is the point at which I'm st- stopping the scene? Like, ha- what is my role as a spotter? Am I am I connected to the scene? Am I kind of giving feedback as I go? Is it only that I stop it if there's a big issue? What is a big issue? Um, how emotionally connected to the people am I? Oh, that's
1: so interesting. So if I'm
0: connected to the uh, rigor,
1: mm-hmm.
0: then the bottom, <laughs> does that change how I feel? About the risk, if I'm more connected to the bottom, um, does does my emotional connection make me want to stop it more quickly than if I'm, you know, I don't really know the people. Yeah. Um, and I think you can just have a lot of conflicting feelings about, you know, what is the right thing to do here, how am I going to do this. Um, I think it's quite a stressful role.
1: For it is. Would you, would you control say control uh, there is always a situation where you have a conflict of interest and you should say I'm not the right person to be a spotter for this scene?
0: Um, potentially, I guess we can talk about us here a little bit. So mm-hmm. for you, um, you watching me do rope is a, a complicated thing. Mm-hmm. And so adding spotting to that sometimes is a bit too much of a cognitive load. Would yeah. you
1: say? Yeah, I would say. And as as a result, we've uh, decided that I would not spot for you. But luckily, you have many friends who can do that if necessary.
0: Yeah, and also my risk profile is relatively low. And so spotting-wise, I'm, I'm of the opinion that in general, I'm probably not going to tie with someone if I need a spotter in most situations. Although, of course, okay. not all. Um, But yes, we decided that you wouldn't spot for me because of that emotional uh, connection and and you're my 24-7 D and so that also makes you very protective and probably more... Yeah,
1: that is interesting. I think many S-types might have uh, the intuition to go to their D-type as their spotter and I think that's possibly not the best idea.
0: Yeah, interesting. It'd be interesting to hear from listeners if, if... their d-type does is a rigor and does spot for them um, but for you it's not the way right, the right thing to do because of that connection
1: yeah i, I don't love it so if you're uh, if you're spotting what are the things you're uh, actively looking for and is it like an active role or are you just hanging out and having a beer and like glancing in the general direction <laughs> of the scene every two minutes
0: Okay, so for sure you're um, paying attention, like if you've agreed to be a spotter, then you are focused on uh, what's happening in the scene. And again, I think having clarified with the other people in the scene, what your role is, is the thing that guides as to what you're looking out for. So um, rope placement is a big one. So like we said, about arm rope, um, there are certain places where rope has the potential to cause more challenges. Okay. Um, and so you might be looking out for that. Um, you might be looking out if it was more of a um, uh, you're checking in for the bottom from a consent perspective, making sure that their boundaries are being respected. Okay, so, so
1: that's, that's interesting. How would you know as the spotter what the boundaries are?
0: Well, you, that's what I mean. You would have had very clear communication with the bottom and the rigor, and ideally I think you should have sat in on the negotiation.
1: I think that is another uh, big takeaway we can give our uh, dear listeners in this episode Have your spotter be part of the pre-scene negotiations So that they know what is okay, what is not okay What was agreed, what is coming out of the blue Uh, And if you're the spotter, I would personally only accept the responsibility of being a spotter If I was part of those negotiations
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then I think you're also making sure that the rigor is um, in control of things um, okay. and not uh, affected by alcohol or other substances, that the the rigor is paying attention. So, yeah. you know, you, you're kind of checking in on that and making sure that they really understand their scene uh, and they know what they're they're doing. Yeah. Particularly, I mean, often people ask, someone to spot for them if they're tying with a new person who maybe they don't know their yeah. rope very well. And in that case, you are looking at their rope to make sure that they're um, that they're in control and that they know what they're,
1: they're doing. Sure, sure. so in the, in the story that I uh, referenced earlier and yeah. that happened to me at a party a few months ago, uh, the situation was a new rigger was joining our scene for the first time and so we were uh, quite keen to support her and to welcome her to the scene and to have another nice rope person in our rope circle mm-hmm. so that that colored the yeah, the experience a bit um, and then she negotiated a rope scene with one of my regular buttons, who is someone who was not very very experienced and in particular. At Mostly only ever tied with me, as opposed to uh, tied with a variety of rigors. Uh, and that person asked me to spot for her scene. And the scene wasn't going awesome. Uh, some of the people involved have had alcohol. Uh, the rigger was uh, doing a TK. I hadn't been privy to the negotiations, despite having asked. So I didn't know if a TK was okay or not. Uh, and there were some uh, language
0: challenges as well. Right? And there was so a the big two... language
1: barrier. Yeah the, two, uh, yeah, the two people involved in the same... A different native language. Actually, actually, there were three people involved uh, in the negotiation process. Yeah. And they each had a different language. Yeah. We like, yeah. had one person speaking English, one, people, one person speaking Thai, and one, people, one person, sorry, speaking French, trying to interpret between the English and the Thai. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there was a big language barrier uh i hadn't been part of a negotiation i didn't know if a tk was something that had been agreed on i could see that the bottom was not in distress but was uncomfortable she
0: was super anxious yeah she was and, very anxious and we you didn't know if she'd ever we were, you were pretty sure she'd never tied a tk before and she also didn't have an understanding of
1: oh i knew i knew for sure she hadn't tied a tk before because she yeah. almost exclusively tied with me previous and i never tied TKs. So yeah. I knew for so, a fact that she didn't have TK experience, and
0: she doesn't. She hasn't necessarily done the research to understand like what that is and what the implications of that might be.
1: Yeah, and so we ended up in this um, not great for either of us, I think, situation where I felt like the scene was getting into risky territory, but I didn't want to stop the scene because I didn't want to uh, make that new rigger feel unwelcome because it was a first time tying. Uh, I wanted her to feel supported by the community. But then again, I had to, in the end, I had to go with my, um, I mean, my priority was with the bottom and I think it will always will be. Uh, And although it felt kind of terrible stopping that rigger scene, and although we tried to discuss it with her afterwards uh sadly that person has so far never been back uh i did step in and stop the scene because i decided that the safety of the bottom was my absolute priority in the end
0: yeah yeah and you learned a lot of things from that and your um friend the bottom was also i think learned some things Yes,
1: and luckily we had, uh, we spent quite a lot of time, Uh, we had lunch a few days later specifically to debrief that incident, and we both, I think, got to express uh, our point of views, we both learned a lot, and that has luckily not damaged that relationship at all, but yeah, we both learned uh, new boundaries we had around spotting for sure. Mm, mm. And 100%. If I were to spot for someone again, one condition would be that I am part of the negotiations, that I have a better understanding of the risk profile that has been agreed to.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, so from from you know you said that your uh, bot in that case learned some lessons. So as the person being spotted for, what kind of things are they asking for? What what do they need to to do when asking a spotter?
1: Uh, I think they need to be specific in what they want uh, because the spotter could be anything from, I told him he couldn't touch my pussy, make sure he doesn't touch my pussy, to, I'm not sure how good his rope is, I said, uh, no rope on the arms, make sure he doesn't put rope on my arms. So I think there's like a serious conversation that needs to happen with your spotter. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: Like... I mean, it's it's a bit boring because we always say the same thing. But BDSM requires a ton of communication.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and even then you can't. Sometimes I feel like you can't communicate enough. Like the person that I tied with, where you were spotting that one time, which we're not doing anymore. But and I'd talk to him in chat beforehand, which you'd been privy to, so yep. messaging, yep. and I'd said no TKs, and the first thing that he did was put rope
1: on was my arms. go for a TK? Yeah.
0: Yeah, and so so then for me, it's quite challenging. Like. Okay, I need to stop the scene and you were very conflicted and it was just very complicated. But yeah. that just shows that even with communication, still, you need to be on top of... Uh, it's
1: it's not easy. Yeah. It's yeah. not easy.
0: Okay, so what what tips can we give people? How can we make it easier for people? Should uh, they do
1: this? So certainly involve you spotter in the negotiation process. I would say also involve you spotter in the debrief.
0: Yeah,
1: I think so. Uh, Because they have... Interesting feedback to give you. They have an external point of view. Uh, they will add value to your debrief for sure. I and would
0: definitely, if they've stopped the scene. And what... <laughs> if they've stopped the scene, then they have to be included in the. Debris. Yeah,
1: if they stop the scene, there's some they really have to debrief with you. Um, I wonder to what extent it might be interesting to include your spotter in the aftercare.
0: Okay, and so what would that look like?
1: Uh, Well, aftercare is different for everyone, right? But if you're having like... Maybe you have a first more private, more intimate aftercare with the person you played with, but at some point you invite your spotter to join in for cuddles or something if you're into that. Because A, that's a way to recognize their role, to be thankful to them. And B, as we said, spotting can actually be uh, emotionally somewhat violent sometimes. So giving them a bit of warmth can help them... uh, get through that easier I feel
0: yeah yeah because when you did stop that scene it felt like that bottom was angry at you rather than grateful and so you had to do quite a lot of debrief around it whereas being grateful for you looking out for their safety I think is a I
1: I don't know if she was uh, angry at me but we for sure needed to communicate around it but we did uh, we did have uh, some aftercare also after that which was very helpful
0: Mm. And so what else do you need to communicate?
1: Um, I would say uh, communicate on how they're going to intervene if they need to. Yeah. When do you want them to just verbally give advice or give a warning versus if you want them to actually walk into the scene and stop the scene? Uh, A typical example would be uh, if you have agreed to non-sexual play and you've explained that non-sexual play uh, is no going anywhere near the genitals, for instance, you could tell your spotter if anyone goes near my genitals, physically stop the scene immediately.
0: Yeah, and then that's a challenge as well because I'm thinking, well, if I am the spotter yeah. and the rigor is someone like you, like me, <laughs> physically stopping you from doing something is. You know.
1: I can I can lend you my hunting knife.
0: <laughs> yeah, no thanks. Um, yeah, so so I think that's an interesting thing as well in terms of like if you're, I mean, honestly, if you're really that concerned for your safety, then don't tie with someone. Don't tie with that person.
1: Uh, right? Yeah, that's that's can be actually a good tip. Uh, once again, depending on your risk profile and what you know yeah. about the person. Yeah. Um, yeah. On the other end of that exchange, if you say yes to being a spotter, fucking be serious about it don't fuck off halfway through the scene. Uh, We have a very good friend who's a rope bottom who was doing a two bottoms scene and they were tied to each other. And I think... it
0: was predicament.
1: It was predicament. It was very high risk rope, a bit of extreme play. I think some neck rope maybe may have been involved. I'm not sure about that. And Mm -hmm. I think they had not one but two spotters. Yeah. And at some point, uh, the rigger was turning his back to the bottoms and I can understand that if he had two spotters, he felt he could do that more safely, you know? Because in his yeah. mind, okay, I have two people spotting, so that responsibility... I can turn around and grab something
0: from my bag.
1: Yeah, that responsibility has been shared with other people. There's less of it resting on me. Yeah. And yeah. thus he was turning his back for a while, and the spotters were just not watching, or were went away to somewhere else to do something. And mm-hmm. one of the two girls started fainting, so her breathing was at risk. The other person was being dragged down by the weight of the first bottom who was oh, fainting yeah, and was yeah. also starting to have difficulties breathing. Yeah. Luckily she had enough air left that she could scream at the top of <laughs> her lungs and that got the riggers' attention. Yeah. But that could easily have ended up in the newspaper.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so one of the challenges of having a spotter is the dissolution of responsibility that suddenly yeah. Yeah. everyone's responsible and no one's responsible.
1: Exactly, like uh, I think you see that referred to as the bystander effect also sometimes.
0: Uh. Yeah, potentially.
1: The idea that if you don't have a clear assignment of who needs to react in the situation, everyone is no going to will. assume someone else is doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah okay,
0: that's... so what can't a spotter do?
1: A spotter can see inside your head, he can't yes. feel your fingers, he doesn't know if your hand's going numb, so that's for you to communicate. And you can try to communicate in a way that you communicate that both to rigor and the spotter if possible.
0: Yeah. So you might need to communicate more loudly than you would normally.
1: Yep. Yeah. A a spotter cannot see things that cannot be seen.
0: Yes. Yes. They can only see behaviors.
1: And also remember Um, that they're human. They have a single point of view. they probably would be sitting or standing a bit further away because we are not usually directly in the scene space yeah and it's quite possible that something happens that breaks your boundaries and the spotter doesn't see it because well because the way things were angled or someone walked in and blocked his view partially whatever so you can't be angry at your spotter for missing something because your spotter also is a human
0: Yeah, And at the end of the day, again, you have to be accountable for your own safety. A spotter is a support. They don't take away that responsibility.
1: Yeah, the spotter is not your mummy. Yes. You have to be a big boy or a big girl. (laughs) So that's all from us at the Rope Podcast.
0: You can also find us easily at ropepodcast.com. We love questions from listeners, so drop us a message on Fit, and we'll try to answer you in an upcoming
1: episode. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from, at iTunes, at Stitcher, or anywhere else. And come friend us on our Life page, Rope Podcast.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: And have fun tying.